goodness. Amen. And I don't know if you hear it, but I hear the ring here. It's the... <laughs> this is the trials, one of the trials we live with, right? Well, let's follow up a little bit. Mute this channel. All right, I was going to go turn that off just in case. Thank you. So, we've just been singing about how God, I want you to do that again. And what are we talking about? The presence of God and the work of God in our lives doing stuff, right? Correct. So that's exactly some of the things we're going to be talking about this morning. Wanting God to be at work in us. Wanting God to be transforming us after the image of Christ. That's the desire. That's the goal. So we have been talking in James, and again, as we've been walking through this journey... James is starting to have a conversation with those who have been scattered, who have been mostly uh, driven out of Jerusalem. And then as they have gone out, people have made decisions for Christ, but they are also still experiencing persecution and hardship. And as God is having this conversation, he says, listen, you're experiencing hardship, you're experiencing difficulty. I want you to understand that as you do that, you're doing that, first of all, because you're my follower. You're doing that because you have been identified with me, and that's okay. Now, we say at that at times that, well, gee, I'm not sure it is okay to experience difficulty. I'm not sure it is okay to experience suffering and hardship because of my relationship with Jesus. But Jesus says, now, as you look at the larger conversation, Jesus reminds us that what should we do? We should pick up our cross. We should follow him. And that if we identify with him, we're going to experience challenges and hardship because we have chosen to identify with Jesus. But then... James continues to say, listen, it's okay if you experience trials and hardship because, listen, as you experience these trials and hardships, they're going to produce a really great work in your life because they're going to produce endurance, and then endurance is going to produce other things. And as that journey continues and you continue to grow, you come to completion in Christ, being complete, not lacking anything. So let, in, let these trials come, let these challenges come, but then continue to lean on me, continue to rest in me, continue to hold on to me, continue to follow me. And as you do that, you're going to continue to be strengthened, equipped, and you're going to become more and more whom I desire you to be, more and more shaped after the image of Jesus, your Savior. Now, as this journey continues... I want you to understand, James says, God is not tempting you. And sometimes you guys say, God's tempting me to take the shortcut. God's tempted me to look for the sin escape route instead of staying in that trial, trusting God. God is not tempting you to take the sin escape route. The one who tempts you to take the sin escape route is yourself. Why? Because you don't like hardship. You don't like difficulty. You don't like challenges. We often overwhelmingly like the easy route. And that desire to, as we talked last week, cheat, that desire to take the shortcut is something that comes from within us, not something that comes from God. So that trial is a trial to test us and to help us grow. And as we talked last week, what the trials do, what the tests do, they show us those areas where we fail, those show us those areas where we need to continue to grow, and that identifies those areas where we continue to grow. He doesn't give us tests to motivate us and encourage us to cheat. Now he picks up that conversation this week, and I would like to read from James chapter 1, verses 19 down to the end of the chapter, I believe verse 27. And then we'll have a word of prayer. 
He says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It sounds like James is a dad to me. It says, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of person he was. He forgets what he's seen. Excuse me, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, or a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his, his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray together. Fathers, we take these few moments to jump into your word, to think about what it is saying to us, its significance for our lives, and, and how it can influence us and shape us to walk with you and to know you and to really to live transformed lives. And Father, even as it's saying to, to know freedom or liberty, Father, I would ask that you would just go before us, Allow us to listen well to your word. Allow us to interact well with your word. And Father, even as James has talked about here, that Father, we would not go away having heard but forgotten, but rather we would go away today having heard, but then choosing to act, choosing to respond in light of what we have seen and heard and understood. Continuing to live out that transformed life. Continuing to experience what it means to be conformed more and more and more to the image of Jesus. Father, go before us, I ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. Now, let's kind of pick up again at verse 19. I want us to start to kind of walk through these verses a little bit and, and start to listen to what he says. He says, listen, my brothers, or listen, my brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, have any of you ever heard this kind of saying before? God gave you two ears, one mouth. Have you heard this one? Therefore, be quiet and listen. You should, you should speak half as much as you listen. Have you heard this one before? Or is this just the one I heard from my folks? Okay. You know, he, he's having this conversation. And don't you see this in our world? We, someone comes in and says, I'd like to talk to you. And, and they begin with a preempt. The person being spoke to says, before you say anything. Before you go any further. And like, dude, time out. You don't even know what I'm going to say. I have a pretty good idea what you're going to say. And I just want to let you know why it all happened. What's James saying? Be quiet. Be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. We, so often we are not wired 
to listen, to just slow down, to pause, to bite our tongue, to open our ears, and to really listen to what is being said to us. Now here's a problem with that, if we're not careful. Because sometimes we're talking before our mouth starts moving. And it's really true. Because as soon as we are silent and we open our ears and the person starts to talk to us, we immediately start this debate on the inside. Well, no, I disagree with that point. I disagree with this point. And these are all the reasons why. And you start to form this argument in your head. And as you start to form this argument in your head, you stop listening. And all of a sudden, when there's a poison pause in the conversation, you go, yes, but, 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 but. And we just launch into the conversation. We have waited for the moment when they're catching a breath. And we can start to talk. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. All of a sudden, am I still here? Am I listening? Well, I thought I disappeared for a second. Everyone should be quick to... There we go, I'm back. (laughs) Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen. Now, he then hits something else here that I think is really interesting. And slow to anger. And slow to anger. How quickly do you go from zero to 100 on your internals? Now, what he is saying here is that you shouldn't have a lead foot. You should have a feather foot. You don't want the hopped-up sports car. You have my dad's old four Fairmount. My dad had a Ford Fairmount. They called it a full-size car back in the day. It really was not full-size. But it had a four-cylinder. That thing was a dog. (laughs) It was terrible. If you went downhill, you could maybe hit 60 miles an hour. (laughs) Okay? It It was just not a glorious car. But it served its purpose for a period of time. But that's where we should be. Slow to anger. See, what happens, we get angry and we stop listening. We get angry, and even if we're not yet talking, our ears have already been turned off. And we're just not paying attention, we're just not listening. We're having maybe an internal conversation. We're, we're lining up our words. We're lining up our arguments. We're lining up our declarations so that we, when we have that opportunity, we get to launch. But we're not listening. Now, he tells us why in the next, the next statement. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Why do you usually get angry? 
I can't answer that for you. But I have a hunch. It's probably someone, something like someone has irritated you, did, did something that annoys you, and you want them to stop. Because it's annoying. Or they did something you didn't want them to do, and it made life difficult for you. And it really annoys you, because now life is more difficult, and that's annoying. Or something's happening around you that you just don't enjoy. And of course, what? That's annoying. And we like annoying stuff to stop. None of us likes to have something poke us. You know, when you, when you buy a new car, or you buy a new chair to sit on at home, you don't look for the ones with the sprung coils. You know, you don't look for the one that says, oh man, this one pokes me in the ribs at just the right spot. It's not what you want. You don't look for those slippers that have sand and stones in them. So that as you walk them, it hurts your feet and it's uncomfortable. We don't like stuff that annoys us. We don't like stuff that irritates us. We don't like stuff that inconveniences us. And so when those things start to happen, we go, and we, we lash out. Will you stop being an idiot? Would you shut up and leave me alone? And we start to launch. And we have various ways that we use with our mouth to try to silence, put down, hinder, block the irritations and the annoyance that starts to fly at us. Now here's the bottom line. Our anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God because God's righteousness is not always concerned about our inconvenience or our annoyance. God's righteousness is interested in people being transformed after the image of Jesus. God's righteousness is interested in people's lives reflecting the life and character of Jesus, the values and character of God. That's what God's righteousness is about. And so God says, if you're going to be angry, again, the scripture says, be angry, but do not sin, indicating that often it's tough for us to be angry and not sin because we don't always handle our anger well or correctly. But when we are angry, we should be angry because people are offending God. We should be angry because people are doing things that alienate themselves from God. We should be angry over those things that God gets angry about. But no, we get angry because someone parks in our parking spot. Someone is sitting in our seat. Someone has taken something from our room that we didn't want them to take. Someone has taken something from the fridge that we were saving for later and they decided to eat it before we got to it. And we we have all of these things going on about reasons why we get angry. But none of that stuff is really legit. And so we lash out, we throw that anger around, we slap people around with our words, with our attitude, with our silence, with our loudness, whatever it might be. And as we throw ourselves around and bang into people, trying to make them behave because it wants, we want them to be comfortable, we want to be comfortable, we demand that they do behave in a way that makes us comfortable and satisfies our wants, we're not accomplishing the righteousness of God that way. Now, when you're facing hardship, when you're facing trial, 
when people are giving you grief for your faith. Making life inconvenient, taking stuff from you that they shouldn't be taking, but they feel the freedom to be nasty to you or they feel the freedom to be unkind to you because you're a follower of Jesus. They feel the freedom to tweak you and to poke you because they're waiting to see how you're going to respect, react and respond because they feel the freedom to jab you in life because you're a follower of Jesus. We then have a tendency to react with anger. And when we lash out with that anger, we're not reflecting God well and we're not accomplishing the righteousness of God. What we are reflecting is our own sinful nature that wants to rage, complain, and retaliate because I have been hurt, I have been offended, I have been annoyed. This is really part of the value of listening and stopping. Because as we stop and as we pause before we speak, we're creating the opportunity for God to speak into our lives and for God to reorient our path and to reorient our reaction before we unleash. So, you don't have to advance, but so then, my dear brothers and sisters, under this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For the human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. We then come to this next verse. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth in the evil that is so prevalent... James is getting right to the core of the stuff that exists within us. Moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. That readiness to lash out, whether physically or verbally. That's the moral filth he's talking about. That's the stuff that he wants us to start to address. So, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth. All of that stuff where we are choosing not to be silent, all of that stuff where we're choosing not to manage our anger, but we're letting it go, all of that internal reaction that says, I'm entitled to something different, I deserve something different, I want something different, and I am angry because things aren't going the way that I want. Therefore, I feel the freedom to retaliate and to react in a way that is hurtful to you because I'm going to punish you, I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to bend you if I can so that you comply and you bend to my force, to my power. So that life goes the way I want it to go. That's the moral filth. It's that, it's that ugliness that kind of exists on the inside of us. That attitude stuff. That selfishness stuff. That just exists there because I really want to please me.
Got to let it go, is what he's saying. And this is what he said. Instead, this stuff that's in you that's so prevalent, that's, that's, that's kind of like this bucket that's filled up and kind of dribbling over in your life, that's looking and seeking the opportunity to express itself. And in, that in, and it expresses itself not in a way that reflects God's glory, but it ex- expresses itself negatively. He says, don't do that. Instead, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Yeah. Now, you've got to ask a question. You go, you go, okay, James, time out. What is the implanted word? If I'm going to listen, what's the implanted word? So let's kind of back up a little bit and get a running start to look at this and understand this. Because I think this is key and I think this sets the tone for the rest of the verses that happen here at the end of chapter 1. Now, as we've talked about this, we've talked about the book of James, we've identified that James is the first book of the New Testament being written. So the readers that are reading this book, and as again, as we talked about that first week, they're probably hungry. They, they, they got this letter from James, and they're, yes! They're ready to read it. They want to listen because they've been struggling. They had all this life stuff is going on and they're facing these hardships and these challenges and they're, and they're waiting to hear from one of the apostles and some of the leaders in Jerusalem. And, and, and as he's writing, he's telling them, receive the implanted word. They already knew what the implanted word was, by the way. You understand they already knew that? He's not giving them a mystery. He's not telling them something that's super secret. You need the super secret decoder ring to figure this one out. He's telling them something that they've already known about. Even though this is the very first book of the New Testament that's being written, they already know what the implanted word is. And so you need to understand that the implanted word is not the rest of the New Testament. See, we have this tendency, we have this inclination 2,000 years later to read this and understand the whole idea of the implanted word based upon the context of the fact that we have the rest of the New Testament. And so when we have an issue, well, I'm going to go look in Galatians. I'm going to go look at other things that Paul has to say. I'm going to go, I'm going to take some time and I'm going to read through Hebrews. And I have, you know, Romans has something there I really need to look at too. And and then some of the Gospels have some things that I need to look at and think about. And, And when we have a challenge and issue, we just kind of start going through and we can look at the various scriptures and but they didn't have that but we still have what they had you understand that right you and I we still have if you are in Jesus we still have what they had what is it yes it is the Holy Spirit it is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives leading us into truth. Now, here's what's cool. As the writers of the New Testament continued to write, they gave us, you and me, more insight. But the readers already understood this because we're still at this point in time, 10 to 12 years after the death of Jesus. Many of these individuals have already sat underneath the teaching of the apostles, sat underneath the teachings of the disciples. 
So they've had 10 to 12 years to listen to the disciples teach. They just have not yet had any of the written New Testament word. What's interesting, you come back to chapter... So the events that are happening here, I would guess, are somewhere around Acts 12. Maybe a little after the events of Acts 12. Between Acts 12 and Acts 15... Paul has his first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas go out. And they come back. And one of the things that's interesting that's going on is people came back, and you you read this, starting to teach that you needed to be circumcised according to the circumcision of Moses to be born again. And they had this conversation, they had this debate, and they head back to Jerusalem to have kind of a, a Jerusalem council with the leadership that's there. And they say, you know, is this accurate or is this not accurate? And they decided it's not accurate. No, you don't need to be circumcised to be saved. Now, what I'm, what, uh, my point is not to make a big deal about the whole circumcision. My point is to identify the fact that the disciples and the church has already been receiving teaching and instruction. They have been hearing the truth of God's word. They have been listen, sitting at the feet of the disciples, listening to the stories of Jesus and, and, and hearing the stories of, of what God has been doing and hearing as God has been working through the disciples to teach. And the Holy Spirit also has been very active in their lives, leading them into truth. Now, Subsequent to this, here are some of the things, one beforehand and then subsequent, things that were said. Jesus said this, very pointedly. There's other things he said following this. He says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will what? He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into the truth. And so the reality is, if you are a follower of Jesus, and even at this period of history, you would come to know Jesus as your Savior. And, and we know this from Ephesians 1, as Paul has taught about this after the fact, that as a person would make a decision for Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in, takes up residence in that person's life forever. But as Jesus was teaching us, he said, listen, guys, you need to understand the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to lead you into truth. He's going to help you to differentiate between error and truth. He's going to help you to differentiate between that which is wrong versus that which is right. But let's continue. Let's see some of the other things that are going on. First John. This is Apostle John. It says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you, what? Know the truth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in the life of an individual, helping them to recognize truth from error. Right from wrong. If they're in Christ. Second Thessalonians. Paul's writing. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through the sanctification by the Spirit and through belief, what? In the truth. Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, although in Jeopardy, they said it was Paul. (laughs) It was kind of fun, Tournament of Champions. It was the final, final, final question, and this guy was down two to, he, he, he didn't have any wins yet, and the final question talked about the letter, the biggest, what was the largest letter Paul wrote? And so he wrote Romans, which was correct, but the judges in he- for the Jeopardy said it was Hebrews, which was kind of like, you've got to be kidding me. You're right, I'm looking to like this, poof. Like, this is just, 
people are fallible. They don't got it. You know, we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Even Jeopardy gets it wrong. <laughs> All right. So, but we, we, read this in, we read this in Hebrews. It says, The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For he says... This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. What is he saying? He gives us further insight of how the Holy Spirit works in us. That the Holy Spirit is present. And again, we're not, no longer talking about tab- promises and things and laws written on tablets of stone. Things that God is doing on the internal of our person. Changing us and transforming us. Allowing that to flow from the inside out. Now remember what Jesus said as he was teaching and, and, and coming alongside when he was, who was harassed because he was letting the disciples pick some grain and eat, and eat some grain as they were walking through the fields on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, listen, it's not the stuff that goes in that corrupts, it's the stuff that comes out. But what's going on with the Holy Spirit is he's transforming the stuff on the inside so that the righteousness comes out and, be, and, and it's pushing evil out of us because the righteousness and truthfulness is being written on our hearts. The Holy Spirit is doing that. And so again, as, as James is writing to them, he says, you know the implanted word, that which God has given you, the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is rewriting you on the inside, allowing you to start to know what is true, helping you to learn what it means to walk with God and know God and understand God and to live a transformed life. And then I go to Galatians, and I love this whole conversation of Galatians. And now this is what you need to understand about what's being written in Galatians. Paul, as he is writing in Galatians, and he's talking about the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. He's not talking about something that's brand new from that point in time. He's talking about, descriptively, what the Holy Spirit does in attention and the conflict that goes on that has been pervasive for the entire period of time that the church has been around and for the entire period of time that people have been having the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But I say this, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. And now again, just pause for a second there. Don't, you don't, don't change the screen. You don't have to go back to that. But what did, what did Paul say as he, was, as, as he was talking about this stuff? I have to find where my spot here. Give me one second. First John. James. I'm not finding what I'm looking at. But I know what I want to say because what he described, he described it as evil, that evil stuff that's inside of us. Okay? So then we go back to Galatians. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, so again, as, as he's ter- he says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. What are descriptions or manifestations of that moral evilness? That list that we just read from the flesh. But that all comes from the flesh. But what comes from the spirit? 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So now we come back to James 1.21. What does he say? Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Guys, I want you to listen to and I want you to receive the inner workings of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want you to listen to the Spirit's guidance in your life. I want you to humble yourself and allow him to lead you and to direct your life. Go back to the teachings that you've heard as we have taught. Go back to the teachings of the, of the apostles as you've listened to them teach. But, and the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into truth. And he's writing the laws and he's writing his expectations on the insides of us. The Holy Spirit is actively at work in us, trying to have a conversation and to direct our lives in ways that allow us to reflect God's glory all the time. Now, here's the problem. If we constantly say to the Holy Spirit, shut up, leave me alone. Be quiet, I don't want to listen to you right now. Go away, I'm busy. I don't have time for you right now. If we make a habit of learning to try to silence the voice of the Spirit of God in our life, how well are we going to be able to listen as things surface? Not well at all. Because we have already then started to condition ourselves to not listen. We have conditioned ourselves even internally to not listen, but to talk. We need to learn to listen. And in particular, we need to learn to listen to God's word and to listen to the presence of God's spirit in our lives as he seeks to lead us and to direct us and to call us into truth. And we, you know, can I tell you something? We know it instinctively, almost moment, instantaneously. The, the point of decision and the point of, of challenge for us oftentimes happens like that. Something happens and we, we instinctively have a sense of how we should respond as the Holy Spirit is directing us, and we have a, a moment to respond. We need to learn to listen. And as he says, the implanted word, what? Go back to verse 21 for a second. It saves your souls. See, it's the work of Jesus. It's the message of Jesus, and that comes through the message of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He points us to Jesus, and he points us to the Father. That's what he does. We need to learn to listen to the voice of God in our lives as he prods us. Now, as he continues, he says some things that I think are really, really cool. So look at verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, Deceiving yourselves. Overwhelmingly, as you have probably heard this taught over the years, people have come back to you and they have come back and then they've said, well, therefore you need to listen to the scriptures. That's not incorrect. That's not incorrect. Because the Holy Spirit has given us the scriptures as, he, as people have been led and carried along by the Spirit and as, they, as the Spirit has directed people to write. And that is true. 
But if you're sticking to the context of what's going on here, we are being told to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We're being told to listen to the instruction and direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have more of that than they did at this point in time. But we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. When we only hear and we don't do, we deceive ourselves. Let me say that again. When we only hear and we don't do, we deceive ourselves. We are telling ourselves we got it down. We are telling ourselves we got it figured out. We are telling ourselves I'm good. We don't have it down. We're not good. We're messing up. If you're going to listen well to the presence of the Holy Spirit in that moment of time, learning to listen, in that moment when the Holy Spirit directs, when the Holy Spirit talks, when the Holy Spirit prides, we learn to learn in that moment, that moment, that moment of time, Learning to listen. Learning to apply God's word. Learning to apply the prodding in the word of the Spirit in our lives. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking in the face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Now, you all know your regular morning routines, right? You all know your typical morning routines? You get cleaned up, you get a shower. So, pardon me for a second. So you get a shower, you get out of the shower. Go in the mirror. Oh, this is not good. Okay, what do I need to wear today? All right. That's looking in the mirror, hearing the word, but not doing it. Because you've looked... I just looked. Ooh, not good. That needs to be fixed. What's, and I put, I, now, I don't think in the back in the day, they had a bunch of mirrors like we do. You know, we walk into this special room in our house, we got this big mirror on the wall. And if you're kind of like us, you probably have another mirror in your house. We have one near our door going out the, going out the door. You know, you kind of get that last look before you walk out the door. Say, okay, I am presentable. I am ready to say, here I am, world. And out the door you go. Okay, so, but, he, he, but, but they, everyone knows what a mirror is. They know what mirrors look like. They know how to use mirrors. But if we are that person who looks in the word of God and says, ooh, what do I have to wear today? And we forget what we look like, we're deceiving ourselves. Now, if I kept, if I kept on showing up every Sunday morning, kind of with my hair like this, Someone pulled me aside and said, Andrew, what are you doing? I said, what are you talking about? 
I'm good. Dude, you're not good. You have something you need to fix. It's like the story I heard from this famous... I heard a story. This guy had this conversation with a, with a famous preacher. And he went to the preacher. And he said to the preacher, What's the last thing you think about and the last thing you do before you go into the pulpit to preach? And he goes, I check my zipper. <laughs> you think some profound thing is going on, right? No, he's talking about how do I present? What's going on? Do I mind making sure everything is presented correctly? All right? Now, so we look at this. This is what a person who hears the word but doesn't do it is like. Is this what we look like spiritually? See, that's the bottom line. The challenge is for us to listen to the word and then do what it says. We're expected to look in a mirror and to remember long enough to pick up the brush and brush our hair. So let's continue. For if he looks at himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was, not good. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, we're going to come back to that in a second, and perseveres in it and is not for a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed. What does this person do? This person goes, oh, I need to comb my hair. And they get out the brush, they comb their hair. Well, they said it's not, it's not going right, got to rewatch it. So, oh, I borrowed this from Connor. I'll give this back. <laughs> okay. So, I remembered. I see what it looks like. It's mostly presentable. Okay, I'm good to go. That's what a person does who listens to the word remembers. They make a point of applying the word. So, that's what we should be doing. We should be, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He shines his, himself in our lives. And he goes, do you see that? Do you see that what's going on in your life? You see that anger that you got going on? And that reaction that's going on? Not healthy, not good. You see that attitude you have? Not good. You see that desire you're holding on to that you, that you kind of want to give room to and, and kind of live out that desire? Not good. Pay attention. Go deal with that. See, we should be looking in the mirror of God's word. We should be letting the Holy Spirit speak in our lives and prod us and move us to listen. And we should then be following through, applying that word to our lives. And I love what it says here. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. I love that word, freedom. Because what's going on here is he says, when you listen to the word and apply it, that's when you really have freedom. That word is also translated liberty. And this is when we find and discover liberty in our lives. This is when we discover and find freedom in our lives. Why? Because now we are no longer a slave to the anger. We're no longer a slave to the sin. We're no longer a slave to the reaction. 
We, God has given us something that short circuits that sin process. And God gives us an off-ramp that we can go, poop, I'm going to take, take the exit. I'm not going to take this road down here and, and smash into the wall of sin. Exit, stage right. Because why? Because I am looking in the spiritual mirror of God's word, and God's word says to me, I can live and do something different. I can have a different outcome, and I can have an outcome of liberty and freedom instead of bondage to sin. And so when people are nasty, people are ignorant, people are rude, people are doing things I don't like, people are taking stuff I don't want them to take, I don't have to react in the flesh. I can react with love, joy, peace, and patience, and gentleness, and kindness, and self-control. Instead of with a different reaction. Because I'm letting the Spirit speak into my life, and I'm listening. I'm shutting my mouth. I'm not arguing with God about why I'm right and he's wrong. But I'm listening. And I'm allowing his righteousness to start to be reflected in my life instead of a sinful response. And I will know liberty. And this person is blessed in what he does. That's where blessing resides. When we want to know the blessing of God, we need to learn to use the mirror. That's where the blessing resides. Learning to use God's mirror in our life to see the things that are going on so that we can address that through the power and the work of the Spirit. That's where freedom and blessing comes. And we have conversations with people at different times and their life is chaotic and they're angry at God and they haven't listened to God for years. They shake their fist at God and they say, God, this is your fault. They, don't, they haven't experienced the blessing of God and they haven't experienced the freedom of God. Why? Because they haven't been listening to God. They have shut him out. They have pushed him away. They've stopped listening. Blessing comes when we choose to listen to God. He then hits an application point that I think is interesting. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. If you don't manage your mouth, it's a good indication that you're not using God's mirror well. Plain and simple. You're the mirror reflects how you speak. The mirror impacts how you interact with others. He also says this, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Two things going on here that really stand out. 
Let's deal with the second one first. Staying unstained from the world. You know, we have a tendency to look at the world and really like the world and want the things that the world offers at different times. Because we like comfort. We, there, the world has lots of things that it offers us that we enjoy. All summer long, people flock to the beaches. They, they go out on boats. And, and we look at that stuff sometimes and says, I just have a short window of time to enjoy this stuff. And so I'm going to put God on the back, corner, back burner. I'll see God again in September. It's summertime. Now, is God saying we shouldn't go out and have fun on a boat or have fun at the beach and all that kind of stuff? No, but he resists, does say we should be gathering together. It's healthy for us. It's constructive for us. It's beneficial for us. But see, if we're, if we're doing things in our life that puts God on the back burner and puts other stuff first, we're not staying undefiled. So first we're saying, I want you to be undefiled. But the other thing he says is really interesting to me. To look after orphans and widows and their distress. What happened in the church in Jerusalem? At the very beginning of the life of the church, they cared for the widows. And their critique and what led to the selecting of the seven disciples or seven, seven disciples and, and deacons in Acts 7 was the fact that the Grecian widows were not being cared at the same as the Hebrew widows. At least that was the perception. And so they selected seven men to oversee that and to lead that process to make sure it was being led well. Even at the very beginning of the life of the church, they cared for the needy. In particular, the widows. Why? I have ideas on this, but the orphans and widows, why? Because in that culture, in a very unique way, they were really at the whim of culture. Because there were not those resources that existed in culture to really care for the orphan and, and who, the orphan who would lose the, the training and equipping and provision component of life when they would lose their parents. They would have no place to go. And there was nothing culturally around that was intended or designed to pick up that slack and to care for those orphans to help them get a good start in life. They were just left to fend for themselves. Same thing with the widows. Overwhelmingly, the widows had their provision through their husbands. And so when a husband passed away and... They could lose everything. And again, they are left at the whim of culture to determine how they would be cared for. Now, opinion here. Opinion. But I think in some ways the church today has totally missed this. We have given incredible energy to helping the needy. But my opinion is that on many levels, much of that helping of the needy has been much more of the process of enabling people to behave badly instead of really coming alongside and helping people that really need the help. You can chew on that. You can, you can wrestle with that and try to decide if you think I'm right or wrong. 
But the challenge is to help the orphans and the widow and to really come alongside. He says, that's a true expression of religion. Why? Because we're not getting anything back from it. We're not getting a benefit from that. But we have the opportunity to truly reflect the character and the love of Jesus to those people in our culture and our society who desperately need the help, who don't have the ability to care for themselves because of the circumstances that life has placed them in. And we can really come alongside and help them and reflect the character of Christ. Now James challenges us with how well we listen to God in our life. And I would encourage you to listen to that. How well are you listening to the presence of the Spirit in your life? If you're here today and you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is present in your life and he's seeking to help you to live your life and to direct your life in a way that will be for your good, for your liberty, and in a life that will bring you blessing. If you listen. If you're listening. How well are you listening? Or are you going through life with your hair askew and you're told you're oblivious to the fact because you have so quickly forgotten what you saw as you looked in the mirror and listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you so very much for your richness and your goodness to us. Father, I want to say thank you again that you continue to prod us and to challenge us to walk with you. Father, I would ask that today, before we head out of this place, that you would prod each of us to have that conversation with you about where we are and what we might need to do to reorient how we're living, what we're doing, so that we reflect you better and listen better. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I don't know if you ever feel a hopelessness in your heart when you think of the commands of God in being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I don't know if you feel this hopelessness of, man, I'm trying, but I, I can't. I'm having a real hard time obeying. I wanted to read this one verse as we think about that. It's Romans 8.11. It gives great hope for everything we just talked so Romans 8.11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So that's talking about Jesus raising the dead, but there's two things it says in there. Well, actually it says one thing and it says it twice. That if you have trusted in Christ, the spirit, Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's your hope for remembering the word, listening to the word, listening to the Holy Spirit leading you, obeying the word. That's your hope. And friend, if you're here and you have believed in Jesus as your Savior, you have the Spirit in you. 
to show you the word, show you how to obey, give you the strength to obey. There is great hope and relief. I have the Spirit in me. And if you're here and you've not believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not in you. But Jesus died and rose again so you can be saved and you can have the Holy Spirit in you. What we're going to do now is we're going to have the offering come from the back forward. And as it passes you, we will stand and sing to the great God who has given us the Spirit, who has given us hope. We can listen. We can obey. We can follow because God is in me. So as the offering plate passes you, we will stand and we will sing to our great God. Lord, I thank you.